Hello and welcome to the Access of Space Defense and Security podcast. I'm Omkar Nikam, your host for this episode. In this podcast, we explore the latest developments and trends in the fields of space exploration, defense technology, and national security. Each episode features insightful interviews with experts and industry leaders who share their perspectives on a wide range of topics, including the latest advances in satellite technology, space exploration missions, military defense strategies, cybersecurity, and more. Whether you are a space enthusiast, a military professional, or someone interested in the latest innovation in technology and security, this podcast has something for you. Join us as we delve into the cutting-edge research breakthroughs that are shaping the future of space defense and security. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome to episode 11, Mapping India's Military Space Landscape. To understand the sphere of India's space application for defense and security, we have today with us Dr. Narayan Prasad. Hi, Narayan. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Omkar, for having me here. Likewise, thank you very much for joining us. So, as we'll be taking a deep dive into this topic, so prior to that, can you please provide a brief overview of your career, the organization that you associated with, and in general, your journey in the space sector? Sure, happy to. So I've been in the space sector, I would say, for roughly about fifteen uh, years now, just over fifteen years, perhaps. And obviously, initially, as somebody who was involved in uh, microsatellite uh, projects, and uh, you know that has led me to spending time in different European countries, Germany, Sweden, France, and and so on, and that also led me to. working a bit at uh, dlr in germany and then uh, eventually going back to india in uh, 2012 to set up druva uh, uh, space that uh, is today one of the companies that is uh, very alive and kicking uh, in hyderabad so eventually uh, since the timing of the venture was uh, very hard in india i decided to exit Uh, and i'm very happy to see that uh, my co-founder sanjay has uh, carried on from there and uh, has been able to build a, a substantial business today uh, but yeah i made my way back to europe and set up uh, sat search along with uh, my co-founders uh, karthik and alberto uh, and yeah this has been uh, my you know entrepreneurial journey and today i think sat search is uh, close to 7 years old and uh, you know it it has now customers in about 32 countries uh, and yeah this is uh, also given me an impression of what the space industry is how it works what can be done from an entrepreneurial standpoint but uh, alongside my entrepreneurial ventures i've uh, been also an academic uh, which would have been my career path if i was not into entrepreneurship i uh, have obviously taken a deep dive into policy related issues uh, at least for the last uh, 10 years where i've really discussed my perspective of uh, space policy and that obviously includes uh, defense and military security related uh, issues but not from a political or a, you know geo strategic perspective but from a entrepreneurial perspective of what can uh, be done from a technology perspective to look at the demand that the indian defense and the military establishment uh, wants to establish uh, itself in 
and how that can be promoted uh, in a way that uh, industry can be included in that growth story so that has been uh, one of the things that i've been looking for the longest amounts of time uh, so this is also an area of interest so we've also set up a, a think tank called spaceport sarabai who you know which is looking at these kinds of uh, angles and uh, trying to provide advice as well as uh, insights on on these lines to further policy making in in this regard and also also to support entrepreneurship uh, on these lines amazing i think the journey that uh, you have uh, from an, from being an engineer to the businessman and later on even to you know playing up the leadership roles as well so i think this this podcast episode is going to be a very much inspiration for not only the space people or the audience who are going to listen to it but we have a quite a lot of audience from the defense security and international office so if i'm not wrong you recently started the spaceport sarawai as well right as you mentioned yes so you know one of the things that we see as the lack of um... you know thinking in india is an establishment where there is a dedicated focus on space from a think tank perspective uh, yes. india has a lot of uh, industry associations that are representing various industries uh, as a part of that association it also has other think tanks uh, like you know the national institute of advanced studies or uh, uh, you know idsa delhi and caps and so on but uh, none of them have a exclusive focus on space uh space becomes uh, one part of the focus that they have uh but uh, we see merit like in mature countries around the world where there is a space program uh like you know europe or us or other places where they have uh uh dedicated space think tanks and that's the space that we don't see very alive in india and this is one of the reasons why we are we made a case for spaceport sarabai to exist as a as a dedicated space think tank uh, which can really deep dive into the topics uh, instead of just having a a smaller focus on it as a uh, as an overall organization yes i i completely agree with you i think there has been no such institution or a footprint across india where you can actually do such research or push the policies through the think tank uh, in terms of you know space especially the place where the space and international affairs are you know coming together at one place so i hope uh, you and your team uh, definitely contribute much uh, from your planning in the spaceport sarabai uh, okay so moving into the topic actually uh, as we have discussed uh, most of your journey now and i would like to know your perspective going ahead like unlike other countries india has traditionally invested more in civil and scientific space missions i mean as far as i know since my uh, career i began in the earth sciences i have been uh, very much you know in that area where i have always seen it's only civil and scientific space mission that india has always in- invested but in the past few years we have seen this trend where india is investing more in the military space technology recently uh, the indian army was you know uh, given a dedicated uh, Uh, satellite uh, so i think it will be in operation from 2026 and so we have overall observed a increase of um, military space investment in india so what are your thoughts about that and what uh, from your perspective what are the prime factors contributing to this increased investments 
Sure. I mean, the thing is, uh, if you go back to the history of the Indian space program itself, uh, there are, let's say, two specific space programs that were uh, based on a civilian front, right? One is uh, Japan and other is uh, India. Japan, for obvious reasons, that they were getting out of the war and they did not want uh, to exploit space as a part of its uh, military uh, program. So that uh, you know allowed them to only then create a civilian focus. But then uh, you know India is another country where uh, we took a stance that uh, India would uh, create or use space and space assets for civilian use cases and to further the applications in the society. That was the stance for the longest amount of time st- since the beginning of the Indian space program. But obviously, you know, as India has established uh, capabilities over many decades now and the kind of threats that are emerging in the Indian subcontinent uh, is substantial uh, for the security uh, situation in the country, the interest of exploiting space from a defense and security perspective is uh, gone up tremendously in the last uh, 15 years or so. There are also many marked events, uh, starting from events like uh, the Kargil War, where if we had perhaps enough imaging capacity and enough uh, capacity at very high resolutions, the movements as well as uh, the changes in the terrain in those regions where the war happened uh, could have perhaps uh, been detected and with very early signs and uh, uh, you know, we could have probably avoided the kind of escalation that hit happened. So, but it's also about, uh, you know, then uh, looking at uh, other possibilities such as uh, space for, you know, defense weather uh, related aspects. It could be space for uh, uh, defense PNT related uh, aspects. So there are obviously PNT weather, um, you know, meteorology, uh, imaging, communication, all of these uh, have implications or large implications for uh, defense utility as well. So as the kind of threat scenarios are emerging, uh, especially with border issues uh, that India has with uh, both the neighbors, uh, you know, in the north, we uh, have seen a lot of interest in the security establishment to explore this as a part of uh, military modernization, I would say, uh, that involves space as then an angle. So this is uh, the baseline of why there is interest uh, at the end. But it's not unique to India in itself. Uh, You know, if you compare uh, what, for example, China is doing today, um, it has quickly ramped up the capabilities it has in both the launch and as well as in uh, satellite manufacturing. Uh, I think China today does uh, about, uh, you know, eight to 10 times the number of launches uh, that India does uh, when in a calendar year, for example. And, uh, yeah, the, you know, depending on the size of the satellite or uh, number of launches, it could be anywhere between even six to ten times the range varies. But then it also operates today perhaps about uh, nine to eleven times a bigger satellite fleet than India does uh, with respect to the capabilities that it has. So, obviously, you know, this is, uh, it makes the capabilities that India has in a very skewed fashion. Uh, against uh, a neighbor like China. And uh, that means that it has implications to what, uh, you know, communication and uh, all the other applications that I already talked about, how that will provide an edge to the defense and security forces. It uh, then has an implication to all of that. So therefore, 
you know to balance out a lot of these things uh, as well as uh, to uh, modernize the forces uh, space becomes a very very important uh, aspects of uh, of this and it, the question is how are we uh, approaching this uh, in what way is it going to be um, an industry led mechanism it is going to be uh, a government organization led uh, mechanism uh, and that is uh, a larger debate uh, that uh, is uh, happening within the system today for example all right so as you mentioned like uh, some of these events have led to the boost of uh, military space applications in india uh, you mentioned about the kargil war as well so i think india also had lacked abilities in the electronic intelligence during 2611 so uh can you little bit extend about that as well like are those also the one of the contributing factors because as far as i know uh f- from the uh, naval surveillance point of view we didn't really had any satellite resources over there and uh, just a you know follow up uh, joint question in that also the new space is also one of the contributing factor in that so what is your perspective on overall this like there are some of the events which have you know showcased the gap in india and there is an emergence of new space as well so do you think like these two things have come together and are boosting together the military space application growth in india yeah it's a very ongoing debate and uh, discussion because um, you know until recently the scenario for uh, military space uh, had a lot of inertia in the system because um, you know what happened as a part of the uh kargil situation and then subsequently the uh, mumbai terror attacks uh, is that india then uh, established a tri services uh, coordinating body uh, within this defense establishment called the integrated uh, defense staff ids which then eventually after many years after almost 10 years it's turned into a defense space agency and a defense space research organization to uh, you know look at uh, defense space as a dedicated part of the establishment right so now the question really is is that um, isro is a civilian uh, organization and uh, which means that you know they cannot actively take part in uh, uh, providing uh, dedicated uh, you know uh, missions to the military and there may be implications of sanctions and others on them uh, for uh, things like this right so now the uh, critical part of all of this is that uh, what sort of capabilities can uh, the industry in uh, uh, india provide given the nature of the industry and the capabilities of the industry so unlike uh, many other parts of the world where the industry is very mature like in the us or europe or you know japan or other places uh, industry in india for a longest amount of time has been mostly partners in manufacturing of space related capabilities for isro uh, and the defense sector rather than uh, you know somebody who is capable of uh, build to spec or a service level agreement uh, you know uh, led industry where somebody would take ownership of uh, building a flying uh, building and flying an entire satellite or building a flying an, an entire rocket or so on this is the big change that is occurring today where a number of uh, companies have invested uh, you know efforts into either showing that they can build entire satellites by themselves and prove it or you know build launch vehicles and show that they can fly that independently in the private sector 
So this, I think, opens up uh, a lot of uh, possibilities for the defense establishments because uh, it provides this uh, foundation for industry to have proven that they also can do something with respect to space and they can do it as an end-to-end service or an end-to-end product, which means that that opens up the door for then the defense establishment to tender out these contracts where uh, it was po- almost impossible in you know in the last decade or so because the industry was not really that mature for it to uh, go to it and say that please build this or so on right so the next decade i think will be very exciting because uh, you will see a number of these companies come up live uh, and they'll they would have proven uh, their capabilities and you know hopefully because of that you will see a lot of the interesting aspects of providing defense uh, and security related satellite mission being run from the industry. And uh, that is what seems to then uh, look at, uh, you know, the pace at which these uh, capabilities can be matched up uh, globally can only happen in this way because uh, the private sector brings its own level of efficiency and i hope that you know that will then uh, be able to uh, you know ramp up the the capabilities that india will have as a part of the space based uh, tools for military modernization amazing i think one of the point that you mentioned uh, during the conversation was about the tri service so uh, from this i get to know and from the general research also before you know uh, coming to the episode that i did was that there are several institutions that are coming up in india from the government side there are some initiatives and i believe uh, for, for example if we take the securities example or the security sphere example of uh, india uh, there was one of the one personalities uh, called as uh, rameshwar nath kau he he was one of the prime uh, person to lead the india security uh, both for the domestic and the international uh, security uh from that perspective uh, do you believe india is also taking steps in building a leadership roles or in in building a leadership pathway for the people to you know not only to handle this institute but to keep this institute sustainable healthy and uh, match up the level uh, at which the united states is at the moment or several say, space nations are at the moment yeah i mean the thing is that uh, you know institutions uh, have their life cycles and uh, they have their own uh, way of uh, you know engaging right the, the public so i give you some examples that is probably adjacent to what you already mentioned um, you know for example uh, uh, the the white house has uh, something called the stpi the science and technology policy institute or so on and then uh, yes. below that there is a specific think tank called the ida the institute for defense analysis and you know they are interesting because it is a think tank that is directly under the uh, you know stpi and which means that they are actually not funded as a uh, privately backed think tank they're actually funded by the taxpayer right which means that yes. uh, they are not biased to report something in favor of a private sector organization or so on uh, in any form right or they're not a private think tank that will push an agenda for a particular uh, organization or even uh, the industry at large 
they're really looking at uh, what gives the best return on investment for the country and for the taxpayer. So, which means that, um, you know, it's um, it's an interesting uh, model because um, uh, if you compare that with India, India has some uh, taxpayer funded think tanks like the IDSA or CAPS and so on, but then they don't do analysis uh, the way IDA does where uh, IDA is an interesting mix because they have people who are subject matter experts uh, as well as political experts, as well as, you know, uh, strategic, geostrategic kind of experts, where an engineer meets an economist where, uh, you know, a strategic policy maker meets a political scientist. So when you mix all of these different kinds of profiles and you have people collaborating, that's when you see the real picture. Because the the problem that, uh, for example, India suffers is that uh, either it has uh, in some of these think tanks, too many former uh, military personnel who don't understand uh, yes. technology or yeah. there are too many political thinkers who don't understand entrepreneurship yes uh, and you know the uh, entre- techno uh, entrepreneurship angle uh, or the economics uh, angle of uh, you know military space and defense space and how the industry can be engaged all of these roles are completely missing in these institutions so i think what really we should look at is we should not just review one institution but we should review every type of institution that there is and look at what incentives do they have what models are they working in uh, what can we do for example you know there is no mapping on uh, how big is our supply chain for space in india uh, in a formal fashion there's no institution looking at all of this. There is no one saying how many jobs we are creating every year, how much investment we are bringing every year, how many exports are we doing for military space every year. Many other topics like this, you don't have a body that is uh, uh, reviewing the status of the ecosystem and making scientific uh, you know, recommendations that is based on primary evidence rather than uh, commentary or uh, personal opinion uh, or so on. Right? So... So these are, you know, the kind of roles that you then have to look at. And there are these institutional gaps that need to be filled in the in the country. Uh, It could also be that, you know, how do we incentivize uh, companies to export more? For example, it could be uh, a dedicated uh, trade body for, uh, you know, defense. And in 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 that, there is a dedicated wing for uh, defense space, for example, where, the uh, indian uh, you know diplomacy is uh, using its power to reach out to many countries and to have uh, like a body like india invest india that is bringing investment to india it could be export india for example where they could yeah. they be taking these companies and going into other places and helping them be, thrive there and helping them export so that uh, india earns more as a country right so these are all uh, many ideas that uh, we could be exploring uh, as a policy discussion or a debate uh, and these so it's not just always one institution it's many institutions which are uh, to be looked at and how do how does each institution then contribute to the overall health of the country and the ecosystem is uh, what is to be discussed all right yeah i think uh, what you mentioned is uh, is really a gap actually uh, that uh, the roles of the people in the think tanks are not re- really streamlined very well as per the need of uh, you know what needs to be done uh, so just a follow up uh, question on the same uh, uh, 
lines the the us if we look at the united states uh, they they have several agencies and programs like as like the space development agency which actually manages the military space assets uh, especially the contracting side then they have sbr sdtr programs under which the commercial private space companies have the opportunity to uh, help create and manage the military space asset for its armed forces so with respect to india uh, do you believe the indian government should take a similar strategic approach to shape the landscape of military space technology and applications yeah i mean it's a interesting question uh, because you know i believe that um, what we should do is we should uh, review the status of every diff- ecosystem we should review what the americans are doing what the europeans are doing what the chinese are doing what russians are doing what japanese are doing south koreans are doing for example and then we should create some a model that works for us uh, at the end of the day yes. which is an indian model i don't believe in copying anybody one to one or you just following up the approach of uh, somebody else one to one i'll give you an example for example uh, yes. i for example don't believe in uh, government grants in cash so okay. there's a lot of people who say that oh government should give uh, you know money to companies to do something uh, i i don't think so i'm a very big fan of uh, something like that because it can quickly lead to corruption or favorism to one type of people over the other um and also the return on investment on that will always be bleak because uh, uh, you know providing input as money is uncertain uh, for the outcome it is much rather interesting to give somebody a tender or a contract to deliver something instead right so because the yeah. outcome is then established as to what is to be delivered yes and giving them uh, simply a bunch of money saying that you are planning to build something and i'll give you money and go build a part of this at the end yeah so uh, so that is it could even be in milestones right if something is like uh, you know you're building a 100 kilogram satellite obviously you know you need uh, let's say 5 million dollars for it it may not be that you will uh, give out a tender for it but even to prove a particular subsystem of that uh, core part of the payload is established you can break that down as uh, not a grant to give money to build it but then you show me the progress of you having established this and i am give you going to give you money based on the milestone that you achieved and uh, and that may lead to more investment as well right because uh, a uh, grant is a grant because it's a one time thing and you get it but then uh, a tender or a anchor customer means that an investor is also then likely to look at it in a positive fashion because then there is signal from the ecosystem that if there is demand for something and that demand means that uh, somebody can go there and shop their idea in front of a investor saying that look i do have uh, uh, this uh, in place and Uh, it's uh, it's something that uh, you um, you know you can use to then say that there is the explicit demand from a large customer and you can then use that to raise some money right so this is uh, yes. an approach that you can then uh, take so uh, yeah i mean for me there are uh, the indian scenario is very simple we have had a lot of capabilities and in infrastructure and people who are capable um, and for the last decades or so we've built up the uh, the foundation by having uh, people who understand technology and who have the resources but uh, the industry at large is still not fully mature to be able to 
design and operate uh, satellites uh, and that is the transition that is happening today in the industry right but i think the future yes. is about how do you enable bureaucracy to contract such work from the industry because it's also a question of do bureaucrats understand how to write tenders to you know allow the indian industry to supply imagery or insights for the military yes and this is the the real challenging bit uh, which has never been done before and hopefully yeah. in the in the coming uh, years this is something that will be clearly established and you will see in the next few years that uh, there's also you know uh, government establishments uh, putting out tender saying i want to have a change detection as a service uh, based on synthetic aperture radar or hyperspectral imaging or you know multispectral whatever it is or i want to have uh, a survey you know iot service or a or a communication broadband service uh, over a certain areas and uh, and so on so yes. these are all some of the things that needs to then happen for uh, the ecosystem to then uh, grow so, but then as i said you know uh, it, it's not about again an, an institution like sda or you know whatever uh, at the end but it's about what mechanisms and which institutions are then involved the best is when the end user is directly involved with the industry because yes. the end user knows what is needed and if there are no bureaucratic institutions in between the end user and the industry that's when you know you have a very simple way of uh, knowing what the end user wants and the end user can directly contract the industry yes to what it is this is a very important point that you mentioned about uh, that uh, the bureaucrats you know so a lot of times they don't know what exactly the indian armed forces want or in general what the military wants i think uh, that is one of the biggest point of my podcast the reason i initiated this as a space defense and security is to actually not only to you know provide a international affairs perspective to the space industry but actually to help the international affairs geopolitical analyst to let them know what exactly happens in the space industry because there's there, there are things beyond the satellite market that work and i think the policy making uh the way the commercialization work the i think the privatization is very new to india still uh it's it's been just few years it's not it's not been a you know several decades uh so i think the the this this sector needs to you know educate itself and i'm you know as a as one of the experts in the industry that's what my aim is through this podcast is to actually you know educate the people about the space and also for the military domain uh where people can actually know what what expertise need to go what are the gaps there in the system uh as you mentioned like uh, you know a lot of types of bureaucrats don't know what exactly needs to be done in the contract <laughs> so yeah I, i believe i hope uh, i edu- i hope to educate the people through this uh, podcast <laughs> uh so yeah just to get a little back actually uh, you mentioned about uh, uh that we have to look at the other countries programs as well and in that you mentioned about china the reason i'm very much interested about china is because they recently like surrounding all the indian neighborhood uh we have seen like they have deployed by the navigation system at a very rapid pace since 2018 and 2019 and so so with respect to that what are your thoughts about the navic system which uh, I, which is also i think called as uh, irnss uh, 
and how it is helping the Indian defense forces? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So this is a critical part of, uh, you know, what are the triads in the in the space, uh, defense space, right, alongside uh, remote sensing and uh, and communication. Uh, as you know, you know, perhaps uh, in the uh, in GPS is a very interesting system because uh, for a long time it was uh, only for the military and it was opened up to the entire world. And then a lot of the defense forces also started adopting GPS within their systems. And, you know, several wars, including the, the war in Iraq and other places, uh, and even uh, over India, I think there's been cases where uh, the GPS was denied in, in environments where there was a threat scenario and uh, it allows the U.S. to switch off the system in certain regions at certain times uh, of their wish. So... Obviously, you know, this has led to several other countries who to establish their own, uh, you know, GNSS positioning system. Obviously, you know, this is, includes uh, countries like Japan, China, you know, Russia, uh, Europe, and, and even South Korea, I think now. Uh, so this, uh, uh, this means that, you know, obviously that uh, forced India to have a think, uh, to think about these kinds of uh, implications for its systems. But I think uh, the larger debate of all of this is that uh, you uh, you need higher accuracy for uh, a lot of things that uh, uh, need uh, precision. So, for example, it could be uh, for uh, drones, for example, or it could be for precise missiles and so on. And obviously, you know, the military frequencies of the GPS is owned by the U.S. Uh, government, and uh, that may not be something that you can use uh, for your defense forces. So it's a combination of both the independence of operating your own system uh, and having ownership of that, as well as then the higher precision that you may get uh, as an as a part of owning your own system in one form or the other. These are the two things that uh, any military would then be interested in uh, in uh, in having their own systems in place, right? So yes. But now you know, uh, Navik as a beginner was uh, looked at. I mean, it also serves civilian purposes, obviously, and it could create an ecosystem for, uh, uh, you know, Navic receivers. Uh, you know that uh, many of the chipset manufacturers uh, like Qualcomm and others have uh, adopted Navic as a part of their uh, chipsets, and that is already being used in smartphones uh, as well. But then, uh, you know, the there is uh, the independence that the country gets, uh, which is interesting uh that uh, that it brings along but then uh, the future of this would be in um, embedding an ecosystem of uh, you know india made india led and uh, localized technologies and that could go into all kinds of things so for example you could integrate that with uh, uh, you know weather stations you can integrate that with aircrafts with drones with missiles and and so on so it has its ecosystem that uh, then brings it advantages right so this is yes. uh, the most interesting part of it and then uh, you know travic right now has a limited service area it's around the indian okay. subcontinent i think it extends uh, only uh, until the the beginning of africa on that side and uh, southeast asia on the on the other side but I read that recently that there is also plans of extending the IRNSS or the Navic service to all around the world. You know, this obviously then has implications to, uh, you know, ICBM delivery and many other aspects uh, that can yes. then be supported in one form or the other. But uh, I think that will obviously take some time because uh, they need to put up new satellites 
and uh, yeah and so on so but yeah the the future seems to be very uh, interesting with these things okay yeah the, the, that's this is uh, quite interesting looking at uh, how india is also you know planning to reach up to that level uh, but yeah th- thank you for you know clarifying that because i i just had a perspective more from the china from the china point of view where they have been deploying it very rapidly and that's the reason i was a bit interested into uh, the indian navigation system as well so uh, moving forward uh, looking at the international relations especially so we have seen there are countries like australia uh, who primarily invest in wideband global satellite system but don't really take uh, much advantage of their investment uh, so that gives a sense that you know their investment in wgs is kind of strategic to keep up you know the military relations with the united states is one of its biggest allies so from that perspective do you believe international relations in general affect uh, india's decision making in the military space segment um uh, it's a tough question uh, because you know at the end of the day i think um, everybody understands that uh, a country of the size of india which is uh, today uh, the largest perhaps the largest country in the world it's probably overtaken china in terms of population um you know that there needs to be some level of independence to all systems um at the end yeah so i think you know we've come a long way because uh, from facing sanctions from the us for running uh, the a military program uh, to then uh, having uh, you know the scenario completely change in uh, in about 5 decades is a very interesting scenario today right where uh the the implications are large but also there is a geopolitical angle to all of this because uh, today you know that uh, uh, the indo pacific is becoming a very large uh, theater for interest for all countries in the region uh, and and this is a, a very interesting uh, discussion because uh, people are talking about uh, you know for example india is also india being a part of many other forums such as uh, i don't know orcus or uh, five eyes or many other it could be you know in many years that india could be uh, part of all of that including uh, forums like the quad or others yes but the indo pacific is uh, is is one of the extremely interesting phenomena so uh, the thing is that uh, obviously you know from an indian perspective i think uh, every policy maker in india perhaps wants to not depend on any other country to maintain uh the ability to do policy and to have uh, stances that are independent of any country and india also is not a country that subscribes to uh, this angle of uh, being called an ally from somebody else it's a very yes. western uh, phenomena right so to to take an angle of that nature or take yeah. a word of that nature so which means that uh, you know these mean that at the end uh, the policy maker in india whoever it is uh, either the foreign policy or even the defense policy or so on is mostly then centered around having independence in terms of capabilities because that is the only way that you can uh, be self reliant uh, and also yes. independent but also what it does it, it gives you respect in the table yes at the same time so i think the future is then uh, 
and at least in my uh, opinion is about having uh, incredibly well developed independent capabilities uh yeah. that can be used to either uh, be equals in collaboration uh or you know to have uh, equal voice in the table in one form or the other and that comes from uh, showing that you have enough capabilities yourself and you have uh, you know you can run your show uh, independently right that's when you get respect uh to yes. to a large extent so that's the future that i see uh, in all of this okay thank you very much so like i think we are already uh, you know uh, approaching the end of the podcast uh so as a space industry expert what message would you like to give to the future generation stepping into this field of military space research or even as in general you know space technology uh i would say that uh, the future generations uh, the especially the indian future generation i think uh, the possibilities today are endless uh, because you know maybe 15 years ago when i was a young student uh, the kind of uh, range of jobs and the kind of organizations that were involved in space and defense as an intersection was very limited uh, at the end yes uh and the number of jobs uh, in a country like india at that point of time would be like hardly less than 500 i would say uh, in a yeah. year so there was a lot of competition and and so on so but i think uh, that scenario has changed in 15 years time and the next uh, you know 15 years or so will be extremely interesting because uh, obviously there are many new startups many new large companies that are investing in a uh, in space related aspects and that means that uh, you know there are both for people to be to take entrepreneurial stances and to raise capital and to raise uh, in you know to build uh, technologies and products will be very interesting i mean who would imagine for example that uh, you know rifles and automatic uh, guns will be built by a private sector uh, company in india 15 years ago it was probably unimaginable but it is happening today uh that uh, you know private sector people are building such capabilities and uh, are able to deliver such products but that i think will spill yes. over to space uh, as well which means that there will be thousands of jobs new jobs being created lots of investment yes. that are coming through lot of support and which means that uh, if people have either original ideas that they want to pursue they can do that uh, they can probably take that to reality and the environment is there for them Uh, or you know if they want to just find a team or find a company that they want to then work with and lead a certain type of technology in whatever ai or many other aspects that are coming through that also then becomes a possibility for them so you can imagine you know the from being in a scenario where very limited institutions very limited funding very limited uh, job opportunities and so on to almost uh, unlimited scope that uh, is present yes uh, so the kind of possibilities are endless for the next generation yes i completely agree with you the possibilities are absolutely completely endless because uh, even i observed the same thing back when i was pursuing my bachelor's in earth sciences in 2011 and 12 there, there were not many opportunities and i feel the current generation really has a lot of advantage not only the government sector but especially in the private and commercial sector where they can actually participate experiment and you know make make something of their own uh, while also helping the uh, national economy in the process 
So, yeah, thank you very much, Narayan, for providing uh, such amazing insights on military space landscape of India. Uh, and I hope uh, we also create a follow-up episode in the future because the, the, I, I'm pretty sure from the audience side that there are going to be several questions or messages or email I'm going to receive uh, for the pointers, especially the one that you mentioned that uh, uh, the bureaucrats uh, and the kind of people which are involved in the think tanks or the policy making don't really have the knowledge of, you know, a complete, I would say, a general knowledge of the space industry. So I hope we again uh, create a follow-up episode as well. Thank you very much for your time, Narayan. Absolutely. Um, thank you again for having me here. I hope, uh, you know, whatever I said made sense to the listeners. And if anybody wants to reach out to me to discuss any aspects of it or has any opinions that is, uh, you know, tangential to what I, I mentioned, I'm happy to have a discussion with them. Definitely. Thank you very much. I, I think I'll be also uh, uploading your contact details uh, in the description below the episode. So definitely the audience can actually, you know, reach to you, reach out to you directly. Thank you so much, Omkar. Yes. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you find our podcast insightful, then please like, share and subscribe. See you in the next episode. Thank you.